0: If you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the California Underground. Your host, Bill, and today I have with me. Do you go by chair or president for the <laughs> LA County Libertarian Party?
1: It's it's chair.
0: Okay, so I have Angela McCardle. Is that correct? For uh, chair of the Los Angeles County Libertarian Party to talk a little bit about libertarianism, probably all about libertarianism, a little bit about the Mises Caucus as well, uh, dispel some myths and uh, just have a good chat about it. So we'll start off with basic introduction, Angela, if you want to talk about how you got into politics and what eventually led you down the road to libertarianism and getting involved in the libertarian party.
1: Sure. Well, I always followed politics um, really closely as a child. I I grew up in the South in a kind of a traditional neocon Republican household and have always just had an interest in politics. And I became a libertarian when I was a teenager and became active in the party, not until, I guess, not until my early thirties. And, uh, and the thing that really got me active in politics at the local level, was when LA City Council tried to ban food sharing, feeding the homeless people in public in the city of Los Angeles. And I was very involved in fighting against that uh, proposed ordinance and getting it overturned. And that was like in Mm. 2013. So, you know, that was like a big uh, meaningful thing in my life and I really enjoyed it. And I, you know, I was already very libertarian at the time and really interested in grassroots organizing and communities taking care of people as opposed to relying on government intervention. Does that sort of give you a good background on that?
0: Sure. Um, So you, you, you kind of always, you moved from like a neocon environment more into libertarian as a rebellion against the neocon. Is that what you're...
1: No, I mean i guess it's sort of like an act in three like when i was like 17 i think i just had a conversation with a guy who was also libertarian and sort of my like music social scene who was older and and i said well i'm a republican but i don't really care that much about you know like smoking weed i don't think my friends should go to jail for that it seems stupid you know gay marriage isn't something that affects me i don't get why conservatives hate it so much it seems like you know, from a social conservative perspective, wouldn't you want gay people to get married and be socially conservative too? And he said, well, you sound more like a libertarian than a Republican. And he told me a little bit about libertarianism. And I was like, well, I've heard that word before. I think that sounds about right. Okay, that's cool. I'm I'm a libertarian from a, you know, I just want my gay friends to smoke weed, you know, while defending their pot plants, kind of, you know, with guns perspective, like that, that tired trope. And I learned more about libertarianism when I read this book called The Creature from Jekyll Island by G. Edward Griffin that talks about the Federal Reserve and central banking, and that imploded my worldview. I went from just, oh, I'm a libertarian because I have a vague idea of what that is and I don't like government to holy crap. The federal reserve is controlling everything and they're destroying the dollar and our entire financial system is going to collapse at some point point. and what am i i need to rethink my life and mm-hmm. then after that like you know so i was like freaked out and then after that was the Ron paul campaigns which showed me that i wasn't the only one i didn't live in a bubble there were other people who were freaked out about this stuff too and that led me to actually going out and trying to meet other libertarians and i did get involved In the california libertarian party in 2016 like actively involved and i'd attended a couple of meetups and like social events prior to that but i wasn't you know like as as vested and interested in it until i really made the decision to go out and meet other people
0: so the one thing you're a part of is this new i don't how new i I, maybe you can tell me how new it is it's this mises caucus which is within the libertarian party And I had sort of stumbled upon it by first listening to uh, a debate between Eric Brackey and Dave Smith. And then I started following Dave Smith and then he started talking about the Mises Caucus. And I was like, well, what is this Mises Caucus that they keep talking about? Um, So I started following it. So can you explain what the Mises Caucus is within the Libertarian Party and I guess how you got involved and we can go from there?
1: Yeah. So we are a caucus within the party. We started in 2017. I don't think we officially formed our PAC until, wow, I don't remember. 2018, I'm going to guess, middle of 2018. It took a year at least for us to form our political action committee. And the Mises Caucus is really all about reforming the messaging in the Libertarian Party and taking sort of a three-pronged strategy to to our activism. So we want to see principled More radical, you know, libertarian messaging within the LP. We want to support local candidates. We think that localization and decentralization is really important. We also, um, we're very invested in Austrian economics and economic literacy. And we feel very strongly about issue coalitions. We think that it's really important to work across the board, across the aisle with people on single issue coalitions, like uh, the Decrim Denver thing is something that we were involved in. Decriminalizing psychedelics, uh, sanctuary states or cities or counties for gun rights, things of that nature. You know, we'll, we'll work with people who are more liberal or progressive on drug decriminalization, and we're happy to work with conservatives on gun rights. So that's sort of the approach that we take. Really what we, I think that, what all of that is really trying to tell what we want to convey to everyone is that we want to make the libertarian party a more welcoming place for libertarians because it historically hasn't been that in the last like 20 years. It's very much like a tight knit uh, social club for people who are very invested in intra party politics, but don't pay Mm -hmm. much attention to what's going on outside of the party. And that's not healthy. You know, so we've taken criticism from people who are libertarians, but not in the party. We've taken it to heart and we're trying to reform to make, uh, to make the party a healthier, healthier organization.
0: So it's more focused. The, the, the feeling I get from when I saw the Mises Mises caucus and listening to people talk about it is that it's almost like the adults are standing up and saying like, okay, here are principles. Let's stop being the wacky kooky party and let's start getting, let's start being, successful. Let's start being effective in winning seats um, and actually being a, a viable third party. Is that correct?
1: Yes. So, so there's an interesting thing like right here, because there's a little bit of a dichotomy because when people, sometimes when they hear that, they think, oh, watered down messaging, milk toast candidates, recycled Republicans or Democrats who bailed ship on their party and are going to come over here because they've got nothing else going on. That's not what we want to do. We want to have some pretty radical principled libertarian messaging, but we want to use that to grow grassroots campaigns and support local candidates. We have a low time preference um, strategy if that makes sense. So time preferences is something that Jordan Peterson talks about, and a lot of us are big Jordan Peterson fans. The libertarian party has historically operated on what's a very high time preference they care very much about the here and the now what's happening in the next year the next presidential cycle throw everything you got at what's happening immediately and i do not think that that has proved fruitful or successful so we're reversing that and we're saying we need to make the investments locally we need to have better institutional cohesion and institutional memory we need to push back in areas where we think that we can win And uh, or or fight those battles that we think that we can win and the battles that we can't win, we need to, like at the national level for the presidential election, we need to weaponize the presidential election so that we can use it to effectively message and campaign for grassroots activists and grow our base there. We want to actually achieve measurable results. um, So we have kind of flipped everything on its head.
0: So um, when you talk about like more local You're talking about local, local in the terms of uh, like, would you say like supervisor Jeff Hewitt, who is running for governor, is he a Mises caucus guy?
1: He's not a Mises caucus guy, but our candidates, a lot of our our members, a lot of our members supported his race. So, you know, we're, we're friendly with him. Like we like him Mm -hmm. and we're glad that he won. That is what we're talking about with local campaigns though, city council or county board of supervisors. We have another, county level candidate named Kelly Carden, who's going to run in Kern County, for example. Uh, he's got like, we like to identify winnable races, interview candidates, you know, set them up with the best resources we have, donate to them and watch them win. Because that's really like as a Californian, as someone who was very much against lockdowns, we saw that local candidates, local city, city officials and county level governments, those are the ones who could stand back against the things we didn't like that Gavin Newsom did. So we're we're putting our eggs in that basket.
0: Yeah. It's something I always tell my followers is if you want to sort of insulate yourself from Sacramento, always look at who you're voting for County supervisor for city council, for your mayor and stuff like that. And you'll see that they do have the incredible power to like push back on Sacramento uh, enough to, so you're not part of all the craziness. Um, So one thing that that just going back to that debate between like Eric Brackey and it is Eric Brackey, I think that's his name, right? Eric Brackey. Eric Brackey uh, and Dave Smith. There, there was a competing ideals of like Eric was saying, take over the Republican Party from within as libertarians. And Dave Smith is a big proponent of, no, let's just rebuild the libertarian party. Um, in California, you're kind of in a weird situation where the Republican party is, I would say by the day becoming more and more irrelevant because they just keep losing numbers and you have this large swath of independents who don't want to be a part of either side. They don't want to be Democrat and they don't want to be a Republican. Um, so would this be a case where you say like the Mises caucus can kind of reach out to those independents and start to maybe create a strong base here in California?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We have a lot of members in California. We are growing literally every day, uh, which is really encouraging. But I think that we're well positioned to reach out to people who have rejected the other two parties, especially people who are not just walking away from politics entirely because they're disinterested or they're triggered by Donald Trump or Joe Biden, but people who do not want to see meaningful political change take place and they're just not sure where to go we're, we are actually active in local politics. Like we are going to be the LA County Libertarian Party, which has a a large Mises Caucus um, influence on the board. We're going to be filing a referendum to overturn the vaccine mandate law that was recently um, proposed. So, so it's like we're actually doing things. And I think that that Mm -hmm. is something that people are really excited about.
0: Would you say LA County is probably the, most active of the counties or out of California or who would you
1: No, I'd say we're pretty close, uh, closely split with San Diego. San Diego is the up and coming mm-hmm. County and they're very active too. So I'd say we're, I mean, LA County might be barely more active, but San Diego is really, really catching up.
0: That's interesting. Well, San Diego is always sort of a purple County anyway. So there is a big opportunity there. Mm-hmm. Um, one question. Um, I think it's a good point to, to maybe go back and for anybody who's listening, who's Republican or, or more conservative, who have these notions of libertarians, we can just dispel, dispel some of these myths like right now, yeah. maybe from your Mises caucus perspective. Um, the most common thing that people say is that libertarians are basically just socially liberal republicans they're always like well a libertarian is just a republican but they're socially liberal they you know they're for weed and gay marriage and stuff like that do you think that's entirely true or do you think there's it's uh that doesn't seem to jive with me the whole they're just liberal republicans
1: no it it really doesn't i mean I get, I get, the one thing that like that triggers me and makes me scream re is when I hear socially uh, liberal, fiscally conservative, because that's not the case. Libertarianism is is about people who want you to we want to pursue personal and economic freedom. So some mm-hmm. libertarians are going to be very socially liberal, and some are very socially conservative. They just don't try to enforce their social conservatism through government policy. So there are a lot of conservative Christians in the Mises Caucus. There are people who are Orthodox, uh, Orthodox Christians and Orthodox Jews. There are people who are uh, LDS, that means Mormons. Uh, yeah, and and all different types. We've got some socially conservative atheists too. It's a pretty, mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, I, I like libertarianism because there is room for your individuality within libertarianism. It's just as long as you're not trying to force it on others. And the culture that we have in the Mises caucus does slant a little bit more socially conservative because we reject identity politics and we think that they have no place in politics. It doesn't mean that you don't get your identity. I mean, you can have it. We just don't agree with wielding it as a political cudgel. And so to that extent, you hear a lot less uh, screaming about group rights. You know, like we don't push a lot of gay rights or women's rights or minority rights. It's because we believe in human rights. So that really Mm -hmm. like takes a lot of the tension out of the room. And I think that it's really good and and it makes it more welcoming place for people who are more socially conservative.
0: So yeah, so you can be socially conservative Uh, is the term like paleo libertarian. Is that an accurate description or like a Rothbard sort of libertarian or Lou Rockwell?
1: A lot of people are most of the people in the Mises caucus love Rothbard and also Lou Rockwell, but not everyone does. And so I try to like, you know, keep that in mind that not everybody is a big, uh, is a big Lou Rockwell fan, but in the Mises caucus scene, yeah, generally people like him.
0: We, we discussed this before the show. Um, and if you want to touch upon it, we can touch a little bit upon it. I know you said the Libertarian Party doesn't really take a stance on it, but a lot of controversy is coming out of Texas because of the new abortion uh, bill that just passed. Um, and that there could be like libertarian arguments in the sense of a non-aggression principle against that child that is in the womb, that child has rights as a human and to abort the child is an aggression against that child. So, um, if, if you want to comment on that or what a libertarian might look at that situation,
1: yeah so in the mises caucus we specifically do not address abortion in our platform because we just don't we don't have an opinion on it and we want people Mm -hmm. who are pro-life to feel welcome and not pushed out and the libertarian party officially takes a similar position but a lot of people in the mises caucus think that the way that the abortion plank which is like our little paragraph about it is phrased says that, you know, we recognize good faith arguments on both sides, but we still think the government should be kept out of it. And it's phrased in a way so that it's more pro-choice. Now, that was not, you know, the intention of it, but that's how people think about it. And there's a big push to delete the abortion plank from the Libertarian Party's official platform and list of stated opinions. But uh, do I think that it's possible that abortion is an app violation? Yeah, and a lot of people do. And I I acknowledge there's good faith arguments on both sides. I'm kind of agnostic on it because I feel like I can't technically prove the pro-life position from a scientific perspective, like when conception, you know, when life happens, is it conception? Is it implantation? Is it eight days? You know, getting into the nitty gritty of it. That's my official non-position on it, but uh Mm -hmm. But yeah, like that's that's something that the Mises Caucus is all about is we want to make the party more welcoming to people who who are pro-life and the libertarian movement since the 19 since its iteration in 1971 official formation has been more pro-choice and atheistic, but I will say that the party did not officially take a pro-choice um stance. But, what's the right way to word this? I'm really struggling. I believe that the first abortion position in the party was that they were pro-choice for a certain period of weeks or months. And then they said, you may not, um, you may not commit abortion. It is an act of aggression. So there's been sort of an interesting history and battle about that in the LP.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I think that's one issue that a lot of people, um, when they hear libertarianism, they, they, they think it's just this, willy-nilly bohemian lifestyle um and and there's something interesting that i heard which was the idea of there has to be on the flip side to have a balance one there has to be this push towards enormous liberty like as much liberty as we can as much liberty as our founders wanted us to have but on the flip side as an individual you also have to have like responsibility for that liberty in the sense that you can't just, uh, I don't know, you can't engage in these these activities and then turn around and want someone else to excuse right. the consequences of those activities. Right. You have to take responsibility. And there's two sides of the coin, I think, that's important as well to kind of acknowledge. Do you agree?
1: Absolutely. And uh, the thing that I say about this that a lot of women don't like is that I think you are saddled with responsibility as a, as an adult, as a human being, whether you like it or not. And part of that responsibility isn't just agency, but it's like what your body can do. It has the ability to conceive, you know, like you, you are responsible for the choices and, and what happens to you in life. And And sometimes things don't seem fair mm-hmm. and that's just too bad, you know, because life isn't fair and that turns a lot of people off. But I think that it is really important to have a, cohesive understanding of what responsibility is you know I'm responsible to get up and feed myself and clothe myself in the morning and provide for myself and make a living even if I feel like crap and I just don't want to you know and there are a lot of people who feel that carrying a baby to term is the same and that the arguments that a baby is a trespasser don't fly because a baby never crossed a barrier to get into your body that Mm. baby only exists in your body because you procreated with another human being. And half of that was you, you yeah. know, there's all kinds of arguments and things to be, you know, like outliers and conversations to be had about rape and, and consent. And I, you know, I want to respect those and be sensitive to it. But, but my perspective is that the ultimate responsibility lies with you because sorry, you're born able to conceive.
0: So would you kind of following that vein because the libertarian party stands for legalizing more like psychedelic drugs. And we see this problem here in California, especially up in LA County. I'm sure you, you see it every single day. A lot of people who deal with like substance and, and drug abuse, um, is that sort of in that same vein of there are consequences to, if these drugs were legal and people kind of went off the deep end with them, that's still their responsibility to kind of, fix themselves or take care of themselves rather yeah. than the government having a handout or asking the government to save you from it.
1: Yeah. I mean, people are wrecking themselves on drugs already and locking people up does not make them become less addicted to drugs. you got prison mm-hmm. guards sneaking drugs in people make drugs in prison. Like drugs are, they, they exist. They're out there. It's like trying to outlaw water. It's just not going to happen. Um, yeah. But the answer so my answer to that and the libertarian answer to that is to decriminalize drugs and then make it make it socially acceptable for people to go out and seek treatment. Mm.
0: Uh, but
1: that doesn't mean that I want to federally or locally subsidized treatment programs. I don't wanna do that. Ultimately, this is just like a, it's part of the human condition, the, the potential for addiction and people need to control themselves and their behavior accordingly. And when they screw up, they need to seek help. And, and there are people who are, who want to help other people, which is great. You know, that's also part of the human condition. So, you know, it's, it's, it's similar, I guess, to abortion when we're talking about rights and autonomy and responsibility.
0: Mm-hmm. I'll come back to a question I had. Cause I think that's a good finishing question. I'll ask you in a little bit, uh, next myth half joking that everyone always asks is, uh, who's going to build the roads?
1: I'm going to blow the roads up. I hate the roads so much that I'm going to legalize nukes and hire child slave labor to blow up the roads. And then we will live in a Mad Max um, paradise. So (laughs) you can have private roads. Private roads exist uh, all over the world. Uh, There's a private road in Orange County off Newport Beach, the 73. It's much Mm -hmm. nicer. It's much nicer. Uh, Have you seen the roads in L.A.? It's like it's like a third world country and we're supposed to be a tourism capital of the world. Mm -hmm. So uh, people have this weird idea that someone's going to buy up a bunch of land and not allow anyone to travel on it because it would be Mm -hmm. private. That makes literally no sense. Why would anyone do that? Like there's no human motivation. Human beings are, are motivated, you know, to act and to do things that are in their, their, what they perceive as their best interest. It's not people don't always act in accordance with what is actually their best interest, but they do act, and they are they are motivated by certain behaviors and desires and you know other forces and mechanisms. And the the idea that nobody would build a road because everybody would sit on their land it makes it's like absurd.
0: Yeah, give me some, I guess that- uh, give,
1: give me some pushback though, you know, like I ordered something uh, from Amazon uh that required people across the world to fulfill an order and ship it to me you know and other people were like i want to facilitate that and i want to get paid to help facilitate that so yes pay me and i'll i'll box it up and i'll ship it and you know the amazon worked with some postal carrier to get that there like we we as human beings do actually want to work together and make things happen and the same thing will happen with roads
0: yeah it's kind of like uh the, the argument, why do we really need a post office anymore when you have vi- viable private options as uh, UPS and FedEx are so used so much UPS is like, I'm assuming that I think they're the preferred carrier for Amazon at this point that they, yeah. they're just like private contract with them. Um, and they themselves have already figured out how to do it faster, better than the U S postal service um in terms of returns and deliveries and dropping stuff off and logistics. So uh, I guess that goes to your, your idea or what you're saying that people and entities will work together when they need to facilitate something.
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's what we do. That's that's what we do. You know, like you when you drive down the street and you see someone with a flat tire, even if you can't stop, doesn't your heart just kind of go Ugh. like you mm-hmm. want to help? You're like, that sucks. I feel for him. And there's not even anything in it for you in that situation. You know Mm. financial incentive really makes you want to want to help people out you know we all almost all of us go to work and contribute in some way to other people's lives and and maybe we do it to benefit our own lives but there's nothing bad with that like we we work together to benefit ourselves
0: so taking a, a little detour from california and we'll come back to california um how does it feel knowing that Ron Paul was right about the wars in the Middle East for 20 years.
1: It feels so good, but it hurts to watch someone be right about something so painful. I would recommend mm. to your viewers to, to go to YouTube and look up Ron Paul's. What if his speech? What if is just like, Oh, it'll, it'll break your heart on foreign policy, but it's so good. Just a couple minutes long.
0: Uh, Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because he was a, you know, he was in the Republican party. Now you see the splitting of neocons, um, sort of establishment like war hawks, like a Lindsey Graham who already came out today and said, we're absolutely going to reinvade Afghanistan, which I'm like, that's not surprising coming from Lindsey Graham because him and his, his BFF, John McCain were the ultimate war hawks. Um, so they, they want to keep the war machine going as long as possible. I've always been anti-war. Um, I tell my, my followers that all the time, even, you know, my political journey from John Kerry, Democrat, to Obama guy, to Trump, to Republican to whatever. Um, I've always been anti-war. I've always been anti-war. And that's one thing that I've always been consistent on. So it's, you know, when you look at someone like a Ron Paul, who's always been consistent on war. You kind of look back on it and I go, eh, there's one guy who's been always consistent.
1: Yep, yep. Ron Paul is an inspiration, and he is really what, uh, he is why the Mises Caucus exists. Like it's, it's Ron Paul who has really inspired us to, to have this movement come to life.
0: So I think before, we, uh, before I let you go, I, I just thought of this question, and I think it's a good question with the recall coming up. Um, if Angela was made governor of California and you had one year to try and fix California, what would you do?
1: One year. The first thing I would do would be to try to influence the legislature to limit my emergency powers so that the governors could never lock us down indefinitely again. That would be my, my biggest goal, uh, I don't think I could propose the bill myself as the governor, but I would definitely work with a subcommittee to make that happen and whip as many votes as possible to pass it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I would try to try to position us to have a, have better water management and get rid of some of the uh, entitlement programs that we've got because we have a massive amount of government uh, state level welfare programs that are draining us and try to do some corrections reform because Most of your listeners probably don't know, but the state of California's corrections facilities, our prisons take up a massive amount of our taxpayer dollars, especially with pensions. Pensions, Mm -hmm. pensions, pensions. So many government entitlements. I would get rid of as many of them as possible. I would get rid of as many regulatory burdens as possible and make it a much friendlier place. Geez, I would try to work with the legislature to lower our income tax level. I'd like to see it at zero, it's, I think we, we've got the highest income tax in the country at like 11%. Could we at least chop it in half? Could we at least get it in half? Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe maybe some of our businesses would come back. Toyota and, uh, you know, other uh, Elon Musk, major major manufacturing might come back to California. That is a long list of things I'd like to do.
0: In terms of, so you talked about water a little bit, like in terms of like environmentalism, where would the California Libertarian Party, land on environmentalism because a lot of, I guess environmentalism in California has been attacked via the state. Mm-hmm. So what would be the libertarian response to, well, we want to push environmentalism. We're for environmentalism, but we're not going to use the state to do it.
1: I'd privatize as many state level parks as possible. Couldn't do that with mm-hmm. federal land. Uh But that would be really helpful because then you could have people actually doing controlled burns and cleaning up all of the dead uh, forest that light up, you know, with I don't know. It's like it's like the sun sneezes and it just bursts into flames. We should Mm -hmm. definitely clean that up. I think there's a lot that could be done. Uh, There's there's probably more that could be done also with beach and ocean cleanups and, you know, trying to work trying to work more efficiently and better with a lot of the major industries in California that are polluting. Government is the biggest polluter though. People don't realize how much pollution comes out of military bases and and military programs. So, you know, trying to partner with them to kind of scale some of that back or let private institutions come and clean up after them, that would be great too.
0: Great, well, I don't wanna keep you. Um, I could sit here and probably talk about this more as I've gone down the rabbit hole myself and become a big Rothbard fan. Um, But we could always have you come back on if you want to ever come back on.
1: Yeah. I'd love to come on and talk Rothbard sometime. That's that. I'll go down that rabbit hole.
0: I've been trying to push as my followers go read an anatomy of the state.
1: It is the best. If nothing
0: else, I tell them it's 50 pages. It's an easy read. And once you read that book, you're down the rabbit hole, forget it. So I always tell people just go read Anatomy of the State.
1: And Jack Dorsey tweeted it because he's a deep state uh, tech hostage, in my opinion.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's he's like, he's trying to, to send up the white flag of like, yeah. somebody help. I'm, I'm, I'm out here. I'm reading Anatomy of the State. and My mind's been blown. Yeah. And I, I, I'm I just over a barrel with the government, how they yeah. control me. Um, But yeah, I'd love to have you back and, and we can go more in depth on some of these like granular libertarian philosophies um, and talk more about how the Mises caucus is going here in California and um, yeah, whatever else we want to talk about. So
1: sounds good. Where
0: can, where can people find what you're doing and support you in the Mises caucus and specifically in California?
1: Yeah. If you want to follow the work that I'm doing to fight back against uh, a vaccine passport laws in the city of Los Angeles and see my, uh, see information about how I run the party and my aspirations for the national party, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Angela McArdle. And you can always find me on all the social media on Twitter. I'm Angela for LNC chair. And if you want to join the Mises caucus, and that sounds like something you'd be interested in, you can go to lpmisescaucus.com. I am all over the place doing all the things and I will, I would love to get you all connected and plugged in.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Angela, and uh, hope to see you again soon. Have a great night.
1: Great. Thank you.